Good morning. Wasn't that a beautiful song? Even more beautiful is the heart of Ginny, who serves the Lord in this church. I don't know how many of you know it or not, but there was a time very in this very recent past that Ginny had actually just about lost her singing voice. She couldn't sing in the choir. She couldn't sing solo. She couldn't sing in gospel touch. And it looked bleak and the doctors didn't give much hope that she would be able to regain her voice again. And I was so burdened by that that it, it burdened me and I prayed. I started praying for her to be able to sing again. And I said to her about a month ago, I think, I said, Jenny, I'm going to pray that the next time I speak that you will sing. And I left it at that. And you heard her this morning. God answers prayer. He's alive and well in our lives. And there's nothing too difficult for Him. A lot of people don't understand that when God loves us, He allows the storms to come into our lives. He allows the difficulties because it shows that He can take care of us. He's the captain of the ship. He's the one who takes us through the storm. And we will end up at Fair Havens. We will end up in glory. We will end up on the other shore. But till we get there... There's going to be a number of storms and difficulties. We all go through them. And thank God, the Christian life is about trusting the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we go through. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Father, we just want to thank you for loving us so much as to bring us here this morning to hear your word. We're humbled by it, Lord, because your word is vast. It's like the ocean. There's so much to learn in it. We feel like we're a little boy or a little child with a little tiny cup out in the middle of the ocean trying to gather the ocean and and it can't be done. But we pray this morning by the Holy Spirit that you'll open your word to our hearts, that it will flood our hearts with light, with joy, with encouragement and challenge and help us, Lord, to live the kind of life you want us to live. And so we pray by the Holy Spirit that you will hide me behind the cross and speak to us, Lord, through your word, your voice your love and compassion. And we just pray now and give thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, to the people of the world, the Christian life does not make any sense. It says, for the natural man does not understand the spirit of of spiritual things because they're unable to. They don't have the capacity to. In fact, even many believers don't understand this walk of faith that we go through as well. It's a walk of faith, but it's the life that God has for us. And even though it doesn't make sense, and even though it doesn't make sense to us as believers what God is doing and how he's working, it still makes perfect sense. God's plan always makes perfect sense. Now, we look at it from our perspective, from our human perspective, our human mind, our human reasoning. We say, this doesn't make sense. Why is God doing this? This is an impossible situation. It doesn't make sense. Why is He allowing this to happen to me again? Why is He allowing this to happen to my child, to my wife, to my kids, to my, at my job, or whatever it happens to be? But we have to realize that God is God. He knows what He's doing. He has our best in mind. He loves us so much. And we should be thankful for that. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9 because it summarizes the fact that that God knows 
we don't. It says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Try to get a grasp of that. God's mind. God's thinking. God's ways and how He does things. And the more we grow in our lives, the more we kind of get a little bit of an idea of what he's doing and how he works. Sylvia teaches the women, and it's so beautiful, the principles of God and how God works. And we start learning how God works. His principles work. They work every time. And Adel teaches the men and 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 the assembly. It's so effective and so powerful. And yet we have a lot of questions, don't we? We have a lot of questions. And I know that you're probably like me and you're saying, when I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord, dot, dot, dot. You know, there's many questions we have. We don't have all the answers. We, we see in a, in a glass dimly right now, but someday face to face, we're going to understand it all then. We're finally going to grasp it then. But the title of our message today is The Life That Makes Perfect Sense. The Life That Makes Perfect Sense. You know, the Christian life is a spiritual life. So right, right off the bat, the natural man's not going to understand it. And even the carnal Christian's not going to grasp it. But when we're walking with the Lord and we're seeing Him working in our lives, we can truly see the hand of God, the imprint of God in our life. But it's a life of faith. We simply cling to the Savior and trust in Him that He knows best and He's going to get us through it. But I came from work one Saturday and I was having my lunch on a Saturday after work there in the fellowship room before I was doing the duties at the church and I came across some verses and I started to think about it and I've been thinking about it ever since and it's the word paradox. Now, a paradox really means that it's a statement that is contrary to common belief, a statement that seems to be contradictory, unbelievable or absurd but actually, in fact, may be true. And that is what a paradox is. And in Scripture, there's a number of paradoxes, and we're going to look at a a few of them this morning to see that when you look at it, it says, now, wait a minute, this doesn't quite make sense to me. But with God, it makes perfect sense. And when you look at it from His viewpoint, you put on His glasses, you see, makes perfect sense. Christian life makes perfect sense. The three paradoxes we're going to look at this morning from the Scripture hopefully are easy to remember. Number one is to lose to win. Lose to win. That's a paradox. Number two, give to gain. Give to gain? How are you going to gain? You're going to give, but you're going to gain. That's a number two. And number three, die to live. Die to live. So these are the three paradoxes that we have from God's word. And we're going to see that in the end, it does make perfect sense for us. You know, nobody likes to lose. I don't like to see my team lose. I don't like to lose myself, whether I'm playing a sport or whatever. We, we get competitive. We like to win. But when it comes to Christ, we have to lose in order to win. We have to lose our will our pride, our stubbornness, our way of doing things in order to win His life and His will and His plan for our life. So, in losing, we actually win. 
And there's a verse of Scripture that I love so much in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25 where the Lord Jesus explains this very thing. Matthew 16 and verse 25. It says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, here we are, we put on our imagination, our sanctified imagination. If we were back in those days and we heard those words, and and if you had not gotten the New Testament to explain all these things that we know, and we'd say, now, what is Jesus talking about? If you save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you lose your life, you're going to save it. What is he talking about? What he's talking about is if you try to save your life. In other words, you try to do it all by yourself apart from God. You try to get as much as you can in this world, as much money, as much position and power and all these things. And you try to save your life and you try to save yourself from pain and you save yourself from struggles and difficulties. And you try to make your life as good as it can possibly be in all that striving to save it. You're going to lose it. But for the child of God, for the Christian who comes to the Lord and gives it over to him, he says, Lord, I want to lose all of that. All that desire, all that urges for the things of the world, I want to lose it so that I will then win. I will then have it in Christ, something greater than that. Yet, it's a great paradox. It really is. When you lose your life in this world, but you find it in Christ and you win it in Christ. Bill McDonald said this, he says, The Lord anticipates two hindrances to discipleship in this passage. The first is the natural temptation to save oneself from discomfort, pain, loneliness, or loss. The other is to to become wealthy. As to the first, Jesus warned those who hug their lives for selfish purposes would never find fulfillment. Those who recklessly abandon their lives to him, not counting the cost, find their reason for existence. How about all the Hollywood stars and starlets? I mean, they're all looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They want to find that one thing that's going to make them truly happy. And they're not finding it because they're looking in the wrong place. If you look to Jesus Christ, you're going to lose all of those things and you're going to have something so much greater. You're going to have life and life eternal. You're going to have salvation. You're going to have peace. And when you have that, You have all the fulfillment and all the purpose in life and what a blessing it is. But there's so many people that are looking for that one thing to make them happy. Maybe you're here today. You're still looking for that one thing that's going to make you happy. That that first million you're trying to make or that first person you're trying to that mate you're trying to look for is going to make you happy or that first child you're going to have is going to make you happy or that job, that career, that position, all these things to make me happy. You're striving for it, but it's not going to work. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you surrender to Him. He gives you everything you ever wanted before and more. He's going to give you something that you had never even dreamed of before. The best life. The best things that He has for us. That's what the Apostle Paul found in his life when he got saved. He was a Jewish leader. He had all the knowledge. He was a Benjaminite. He was a Pharisee. He was knowledgeable. He had sat under one of the great teachers in Judaism, Gamaliel. And then he came to that point where he got saved on the road to Damascus. Lord knocked him right off his horse. The great light shone. He went blind. 
And, he, and the Lord saved him on that road. And he said to him, and, and he, Paul says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he, said, he told him. He got him saved and then he put him on the road to serve him. And Paul was so happy with that so that later on in Philippians 3, 6 and 7, he writes these words to all Christians. He says, but what things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Over here, all the riches of this world, all the knowledge, all the position, all the power, all everything, success and victories. And over here, Jesus Christ, it's no comparison. Jesus Christ He gives you the ability not only to have those things, but to enjoy those things. Because people in the world today are not enjoying it. For example, you know I love sports and you know about coaches. These coaches, you think, boy, they got a great job coaching all these great athletes and they go out on the field and you see them calling the signals, calling the plays and everything. The coach is the most miserable person in the whole organization of the team. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because the coach has so much pressure to win, to win the game, that he can't enjoy it. So when he does win the game, he can't fully enjoy it because he, it's expected of him. And now he's got to win this game and next week he's got another one to get ready for. And he can't enjoy the victories. And he certainly doesn't enjoy the defeats. So the, the highs and the lows. But when you have Christ, like a Tony Dungy, he enjoyed coaching. He enjoyed the players. He enjoyed what he did because the pressure was not on him. He says, I got somebody taking care of me, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's who I serve. And what a difference it makes as Christians when we realize that when we lose, we really win. When we lose ourselves in this world, we have such a great blessing. The life of Christ, it's so beautiful. Richard Baxter said, it is the most lamentable thing to see how many people spend their lives and their energy for trifles. We can also say things that don't really matter much. Trivial, trivial things. While God is set aside, he who is all seems to them as nothing. And that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed to know that God has set mankind in such a race where heaven or hell is their certain end, and that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of this world, forgetting the prize that they have run for. How many of us can say, and admittedly, I have pursued trifles. I have pursued trivial things. I have pursued things that don't really count. And before we're saved, we can understand that. We all did that. But when we get saved, we have to put away the trifles. We have to put away the trivialities. We have to put away the things that don't matter. Some things in the world, they seem so important, but when you really analyze it in the light of eternity, they're not so important anymore. And yet we focus our time and energy so much on those things that we lose sight of God's will and purpose and service that He wants us to do. And so it's a challenge to us to lose to win. Lose to win. Secondly, Give to gain. Now, I love this one. This one is so beautiful. And this is one of the verses that really got me thinking about it was Proverbs eleven twenty four. We lose to win and we give to gain. Proverbs eleven twenty four. 
is a verse that if you look at it from the surface, again, it's a paradox, hard to understand until you analyze it in the light of the Holy Spirit and the light of the Word of God. It says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. We have to give in order to gain. That's what it's talking about. So many people today are takers. They're good takers, right? When you want to give them something, they're first in line to be taking it. They're on the taking end. God wants us to be givers. He wants us to be on the giving end. And sometimes for those who are givers, the hardest thing is when we have to be takers. We have to take something because we need it. That's hard for us sometimes. But we have to realize that when we give, God is going to give back to us more abundantly. He really is. He's going to give us more than we ever gave. And that's what it means. And I love to see how the children in the church are giving to the Lord. If you ever watch them on Sunday, and it's okay to watch them, I think, the breaking of bread, you see them putting in their money into the offering. And what's neat is sometimes they take an envelope from out there. We have the envelopes. If you ever want to put your money in there, put your name on it, and then, and then the amount and put it in there, cash, and then we can give you credit for it. But the children, they do this, and it's such a blessing to read sometimes what they put in. And there's one special young lady that absolutely devastated me. I went up to my office and I started counting the money, and I came across this little envelope here, and I started to read it, and I started to cry. And I told uh, Sylvia about it. She says, you've got to share that with your next message. You've got to bring it up. And it just so happens that this message has to do with this. I had it on my desk. I had it there so I would not lose it or forget it. And it comes from a young lady by the name of Natalie Huete. This little girl is so sweet. Listen to what she's put on this envelope. For God's home. For God's home. All the change. This is all from my piggy bank. Natalie Huete, she's got a picture of the cross on it, $2.17. Now, people look at that and they say, $2.17, there's people giving lots of money and this and that. Doesn't it remind you of the story of the widow and the mites and how she put two in? And then Jesus said, she gave more than all of them because she gave what she had to live on. So he honored that widow. We need to honor kids that do things like that because notice the little word all there. This is all for my piggy bank. And you know, if you have ever had a piggy bank, you've got to break that piggy bank, right, to open it. So she must have broken that piggy bank. And she didn't say, well, I got $2.17 in there. Let me calculate 10% of $2.17. No, she didn't do that. That's what we adults do. And that's a good thing. We should give at least 10%. But when you think about it, in the Old Testament, they gave 10% as a tithe under law. Shouldn't we give even more than 10% under grace? I think we should. So she didn't calculate the 10% or even 20% or anything like that. She gave it all. She gave it all. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He's not saying put all your money into the offering. No, but give your all. Give your all your heart. Give all your soul. Give all your service. And then when it comes time, give your offering from your heart to the Lord and it will be a great Blessing indeed. I love these kids. And it's not just Natalie, too. There's other ones, too. And they put their money in there and they're learning to give. 
they're learning to give. And we need to teach them to give. And when you give, you gain. You get back much more than what you gave. And that's, that's what you get when you give. The world sees it as little. God sees it as much. It says in this scripture, if you scatter it, there is one who scatters. In other words, throws out all this money, throws out all this seed, everything scatters, and yet it increases all the more. Increases all the more. But on the other hand, if you withhold it more than what is right, it leads to poverty. There have been a lot of people that have held on to that money and not given it to the Lord and just gone on their their merry way. Their lives are not happy. They're not honoring God and it's going to affect you. Because even if you don't become rich in this world's goods, you've given it to the Lord's work and there's going to be a huge reward in heaven for that. A huge reward for that little girl. The Lord Jesus is going to say, you're like the widow. And the widow and her are going to sit down and have a nice talk in heaven how they both gave all and taught a lesson to us adults. Taught us the lesson. It's a beautiful story. Beautiful story. And you know, God does not like misers. He really doesn't like misers. A miser is a person who can't part with his money. He just can't. He has a hard time. How much do I owe you? Mm, he starts getting it out and tries to figure it out. No. Miser. We don't want to be misers. We want to be generous. And when the need is there, we want to give to meet the need. We want to give according to our ability and even beyond our ability, like the Macedonians did in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I love this verse that I found in Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Ed's going to put it up on the screen here. Notice what it says. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. This is the way the Lord taught. He says, go and give. Give, because when you give to the Lord, it goes into a bank account. Not an earthly bank account, but a heavenly bank account. How's your heavenly bank account doing today? You know, they send you the statement every month and you can read your checking account balance, your savings statement. You can read your 401k and your investments and all these things and you can see, oh boy, it's growing and this and that. And we get so happy and we should be. But how is our spiritual account in heaven? Is it growing or is it diminishing? We need to go ahead and add to that account by giving to the Lord and to his people and to his work. I like what St. Augustine had to say about this because I think he was thinking about this verse. He says, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. So many people, if you can just say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my treasure. I give myself to you. I give all to you. It's a blessing, it, but it's a paradox. How can you give and still get more back? That's a spiritual principle because God's involved. It's not an earthly thing. Because in an earthly situation, if you give, let's say you had $10 and I gave $5 to Melissa. Well, I'd only have five left. But in the Christian life, I give, ten, I give $5 to Melissa. I get back $10 from the life. It's the way the Lord does it. You give, you serve, you, you put out all this energy and effort and he rewards you and gives back here on earth 
and even more in heaven. Even more in heaven. And that is a, a blessing. Uh, Proverbs 11.25, the verse right after the one we just read, says that the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will be watered himself. I also like what Martin Luther had to say about this. This was years ago. He lived back in the 1400s and he's right on to the day that we're living today. He says, I tried to keep things in my hand. He says, I have tried to keep things in my hands and have lost them all. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? When we, when we give it into God's hands, when we give it up to Him, when we say, Lord, I'm just a steward of what You've given me, help me to use it for Your glory. He gives us such a blessing indeed. Yes, it is a blessing. Now, I read a story about a man whose name I will mention in just a second, but he, heads up, he headed up a huge corporation. Huge corporation. Uh, it grew into a multi-million dollar corporation. And they always start small, right? And they grow into a million dollar corporation. And I bet if I ask you at the end, if you buy the product that this man started, I bet we'd have a lot of people who did buy that. His name is J.L. Kraft. How many have bought a product? Kraft. A lot, right? Well, guess what? J.L. Kraft was a godly Christian. And he gave not 10%, not even 20%. He gave 25% of his income to the Lord. And as it grew, he kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And at the end of his life, many people were, were saying, what kind of investment is that? What, are you, what kind of a return are you getting on that? And I like Kraft's words. He says, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. You know, you can invest in the stock market, you can get dividends, you can get all these things, and some people you know, know all about the investment markets and everything like that. But guaranteed, if you make an investment in heaven, it's going to be the greatest investment you'll ever make because to give is to gain. Give is to gain. Someone once said, if you want to be rich, give. If you want to be poor, grab. If you want abundance, scatter. In other words, scatter it out, give it out, and the Lord will indeed bless you. So we've seen so far two paradoxes, haven't we? Lose to win. Lose to win. Lose in this world, gain in Christ. Secondly, we've seen give to gain. Give to gain. And now the third one is, and this is a tough one, die to live. Die to live. Now this, okay, we say, now this one is going to be really hard to explain. How can you say, D, you've got to die in order to live? But that's exactly what the Christian life is all about. It simply means dying to self. Dying to sin. Dying to the things of this world. Dying to the things I want for me selfishly. And then you're going to really live. So that's what it means to die in order to live. And again, the Apostle Paul is our example, who is such a godly example. And he tells us in first Corinthians, rather in Romans chapter six and verse 11, these words. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Die to live. You've got to die 
to live. And this flesh doesn't die easily, does it? At least mine does. And maybe yours dies easily, but mine doesn't. It seems like at every day that old flesh is there to remind me about how wicked and evil it is and how it comes up right at the most inopportune time and causes me distress and problem. We have to die. We have to be crucified. We have to crucify that flesh. We have to die in order to live the life that Christ has for us. It's a simple principle, but much harder to do in real life. That is a hard thing. To die to self. It's hard. And that's why Luke said that. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross daily. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke adds that word, right, Bill? Daily. Because he saw the details. He got all the detail there of what we need to do. Now, if you think Paul had a few things to say about paradoxes, he really did because the next portion I want to read this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 4 through 10. And we're going to see the kind of life that Paul lived. And you say, if you live a life like that, how could you be happy? How could you rejoice? How could you go through it, Paul? But again... Paul had the eternal perspective knowing that all these things were working out for the good of of the Lord's work and for the good of the Lord's people. So it says in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 4, "But but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying... And behold, we live. There it is. And die as dying. And behold, we live. As chastened and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. Beautiful words. You know, I think that these words might scare us when we come to Christ if we think we have to live like that. But Paul, when he got saved, wasn't scared. He says, Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to serve you. And that's what he did. And he was willing to endure hardship and shipwreck and beatings and stonings and all the things he went through. And he says, all these things were worth it. All these things were worth it. It's a blessing just to know how much the Lord really wants to do in our lives. He wants us to die in order to live. One person said it like this. I live to die, I die to live. The more I die, the more I live. (laughs) I'm going to say that again because it's this little saying that it's so beautiful. I live to die and I die to live. The more I die, the more I live. The more we die to self, the more we die to Dean's way of thinking, Dean's way of acting, Dean's way of handling situations, the more we die to that, the more we're going to live and and take on Christ's character and Christ's life, and we're going to be so blessed if we can just let go of the things of this world. That's the hard thing. We've got our hands locked on them. We want to hold on to them. The Lord says, lose them. Give them up. 
die to them, and I'm going to give you so much greater a thing than that. I love what the hymn writer said, and maybe we can sing this one time on Sunday, but the hymn writer and the chorus says, Christ liveth in me, Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. He lives in all of us who know the Lord. And He wants to manifest His life more and more. But we have to lose to win. We have to give to gain. We have to die to live. And when we do those things, we'll live the kind of life the Lord wants us to live. Another hymn writer says, Dying with Jesus by death reckoned mine, living with Jesus a new life divine, looking to Jesus till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. To summarize, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to live this kind of life? It's really a life that makes perfect sense when you think about it. It doesn't make any sense for a Christian to hold on to his money, hold on to his time, hold on to this, hold on to that, not give, not help, not die to self. That is not the life that he wants us to live. The life he wants us to live is to let go and let him have everything and so that we can be a blessing to others. So remember, let's lose to win, give to gain, and die to live. And when we do that, that life will be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. A man named Nathan Schaefer, and I'm going to share this in closing before we close in prayer, puts it very well. He said, and I'm not sure if he's the son of Lewis Schaefer, the uh, godly writer and so forth, but he might be. The spelling is the same. Nathan C. Schaefer, he said, at the close of life, the question will not be, how much have you gotten? But how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much have you saved, but how much have you sacrificed? It will not be how much have you loved and served. It will be how much have you loved and served, not how much you were honored. So may the Lord help us to realize that this is God's priority for all of us. Not just for pastors, not just for missionaries, not just for the leaders of the church, but for every Christian, small, large, every Christian, men, women, boys and girls, to live this way. This is the normal Christian life. This is the life that makes perfect sense. Every other life does not make sense. May the Lord help us to live this life that makes perfect sense. Shall we just close in prayer? Father, we just want to thank you for challenging us today, convicting us today, because so many times we hold on to things, Lord. We, we don't lose to win. We, we try to win for ourselves. We try to make it on our own. But Lord, please help us to surrender to you. And Lord, help us to be givers. Help us to give to gain. Help us to know that when we give to you and to your work, Lord, you're going to bring it back on us a hundredfold. You're going to bless our lives on earth and much more rewarding us in heaven. And Lord, help us to die. Die to self. Die to this world. Die to anything that's going to hinder us in our walk. And help us to live to you, for you, Lord, and live to you every day. And so, Lord, we pray for a victorious Christian life for each one of us. And we just pray, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, help them to realize they've been grasping, they've been trying to find something that makes them happy. They need to come to Jesus this morning. 
And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will receive them, save them, change their lives, help them to realize, Lord, you came all the way down to heaven to give us the the message of salvation, the hope. And you went to the cross and you died for us. And all we have to do is believe in you, accept you as our Lord and Savior and turn over the controls of our lives to you. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be someone here today that would not leave before they accept you as their Lord and Savior and be born again and have this life that really makes perfect sense. And so we ask now your blessing upon the rest of this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.